Welcome to Good Friday. Despite the content of what today means, it is good. You can grab a seat. That'd be awesome. Thank you, worship team. We have a slightly different feel today. We've sort of wanted it to be a little bit more reflective, contemplative, and uh, thus the candles that help create that atmosphere. What we're going to do this morning, I wanted to just share the Good Friday message, and afterwards the band will play a, a song as like an, like an item, I guess, and as they're doing that, the communion up the front here will be available for you to come and take as you, as you feel led. There's no obligation. If you're uncomfortable, that's totally fine. But if you want to um, respond, you're more than welcome to do that. And I just want to open up this service for a space for us to actually have a moment with God. As we think about the bigness of what Easter means and what it means for us, I think it's, it's appropriate to have a a moment to respond. And so why don't pick up the story of, of Good Friday from where we left off last week. Last week we looked at Palm Sunday, the day where Jesus arrived in Jerusalem for the Passover festival and um, he's entering the city on a donkey and they put down the palm leaves and the jackets and coats and he crosses across them into the city and they're crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And and what that was, was a picture of a king entering the city. What would happen is a king would go out to battle, kill a bunch of people, conquer lands, and then come home. And they would welcome him with a, with a king's welcome. And he'd be on the donkey and they would cheer. But, but here Jesus flips that. This time it was definitely a king entering the city. But it wasn't a king that would come from slaughtering many. It's a king that would come to lay his life down for many. And so the story continues from last Sunday. We now journey through to where we find ourselves today on Good Friday, where if you remember, um, probably one of the most famous, outside of the Mona Lisa, one of the most famous artworks is Da Vinci's The Last Supper, right? Jesus, his disciples reclined at the table having the Last Supper, which was at the Passover festival. And I love the joke. Um, Jesus rocks up to the restaurant and says, I'll oh, table for 26 and the guy's like, what? There's only 13 of you. He goes, yeah, we're just going to sit on one side. We're just going to sit on one side of the table. I just love that joke. <laughs> and so we, we see the disciples in that picture reclining with Jesus, having their farewell meal. And it's at that meal that Jesus says, hey, fellas, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all questioning, goes, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And Jesus knew exactly who it was going to be. And so after that meal had finished, they packed up, they, they, they went for a walk, the 13 of them, and, and Jesus wanted to take them up to the mountain to pray because Jesus knew what was coming. The disciples knew that they were there for Passover, which was part of the Jewish custom to, to come every year and celebrate the, the Lord setting their people free from slavery in Egypt. Years and years and years before, and you know that story where Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt for 430 years, they were slaved and God sent a bunch of plagues. The last plague was the angel of death and they had to paint the doorframe with the blood of an innocent lamb and when the angel passed over, thus Passover, that house was saved. And so every year they would celebrate God setting their people free and giving them all that he had promised them. And the disciples thought they were here at this particular year to be part of that, but Jesus knew that this was the end. This was the mission he came to fulfill was about to hit its crescendo point. 
And so Jesus takes his disciples to the top of the mountain and he's like, boys, I, I just want, I want to pray with you. My heart is troubled. I, I have a restlessness and an anxiety inside of me that I, I would want my closest men to pray with me. And so on that mountain, Jesus begins to pray, to seek his father. This was a, a common thing for Jesus. He would, he would often retreat and have a time of quiet with the father. This was no different. And as he begins to pray, he looks around and the disciples are asleep. Maybe because they had such a big meal at the Last Supper, they were full and they had sort of like big tummies and they wanted to go to sleepies. But Jesus nudged them and wakes them up and says, Guys, would you stay awake? Would you pray with me? Just, just for a few minutes, would you pray? Yep, sure, Jesus. Sure, Jesus. Wipe the sleep from their eyes. and uh, Yep, we're good. We're good. Jesus begins to pray again. Opens his eyes again, they've fallen asleep. This happens two or three times. The disciples fall asleep when Jesus has asked them to be on watch and to be present with him. Moments later, they, they finish praying and Jesus continues to walk and he's at the top of the hill. And, and they see that this time, it's probably about midnight, it's pretty, pretty late, it's probably quite dark. And he sees an orange hue and a flicker of light start to appear from the not too distant um, surroundings and the orange flicker gets lighter and brighter and also starts to surround him but was once in front of him and as he looks around he sees this light encircling him and, and, and closing in the light is torches of roman soldiers and as they get closer he can see clearer and they're all armed they're all heavily armed with the the armor and the weapons and they're they're ready for for a fight And as they approach Jesus, sort of muscling through the crowd of soldiers comes this figure. And he makes his way in front of Jesus and stands in front of him, looks him eye to eye, and then leans in and kisses his cheek. This was the symbol that the Roman soldiers needed. This was the signal, I should say that this kiss would identify the one they had come to arrest. Judas, who had walked with Jesus, Judas, who had been close with Jesus for three years, betrayed him, sold him out, was given a bag of 30 pieces of silver and sold out his rabbi, his teacher. So Jesus was arrested. bound him hand and foot and dragged him through the streets. They wanted him dead. It was only a couple of days earlier he, he raised Lazarus from the dead. People were excited about that and the powers that be were like, no, 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 this is going to start an insurrection. We need to shut this down. We need to get control because the people are going to be whipped up into a frenzy and so we need to shut this thing down. So they, they dragged him violently to hold him before the courts to get permission to have him crucified. Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, was he was troubled. He was, as you could imagine, one of your best friends is, is, is going through this traumatic experience. You, you want to be there. And so G Peter follows the entourage as they drag him through the streets. And as they take him into the courts to have him sentenced, Peter's outside waiting to hear, waiting to see what's going on. By this stage, news had spread really quickly about Jesus' arrest and people were, 
was starting to, to become riotous. And so Peter was approached three times, twice by young girls. Are you, your accent sounds Galilean. Are you, you're with Jesus, right? No, 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 that's not me. You've got me mistaken. Again, you're, I reckon you've been with Jesus. No, 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 I'm not. I'm just a random guy. Maybe you got confused with somebody else. Three times, one of Jesus' closest allies denies he even is with him. He had a chance to speak up, an opportunity to identify himself with Christ. But just like Jesus had predicted, that he would deny him three times, he did. The story continues. Jesus is then brought before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor for sentencing. And and Pontius Pilate looks at Jesus and is like, what has this guy done? Like, I I don't see any wrong or any fault in this guy. He's, He's innocent. Why would you want him killed? But the the chief priests and the leaders and the, and the people were adamant, we've got to shut this guy down. And so they start chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pontius Pilate's like, look, I'm cool with Jesus. It's, it's, it's okay. Like, you know, what's he done? You know, I, I see, you know, just crucify him, crucify him. And so pressure's put on Pilate to make a decision. Otherwise, if he doesn't, the, the, the crowd's going to be crazy. And he doesn't want to write on his hands, so he wants to calm things down. So he has an idea because it was Passover festival. Part of that festival would be an emancipation moment, a moment where a prisoner who was held because of crimes they had committed would be released and pardoned as, as a symbol of God releasing the Israelites from slavery. This would be like the, one of the, the key moments. And so the the criminal will be like, wow, I've been set free. I should have been in jail. I should have been killed, but I've been set free. This is an example of what God has done for his people. So Pilate thinks, well, here's what we'll do. We'll use that particular um, part of this festival to maybe bring some common sense to the people. Maybe if, they, if I can put Jesus against a real criminal, they'll see, oh, yeah, maybe he's not that bad. Maybe we'll just calm down. So he calls for Barabbas, a murderer a crook, a thief, like the worst of the worst on death row. And he brings Barabbas out in front of the crowd. And he's like, who, who do you choose? Barabbas, this murderer, who, if I put him back into the community, you guys aren't going to be safe. Or, or Jesus, who brought peace, who brought healing, who brought miracles, who brought love, who brought unity. Well, who do you choose? And the crowd was so messed up, so hell-bent on, on Jesus being killed to, to shut him down. They chose Barabbas, released Barabbas. We would rather him be amongst us than Jesus, this rabbi, this peace-giving man. Incredibly unfair, incredibly illogical decision. We look in hindsight and go, what, what a stupid thing to do. And Pontius Pilate had to stay by his word. He's like, well, look, guys, I just want to let you know that I wash my hands of this innocent man's blood, and it's on you. If you choose to set Barabbas free and have Jesus crucified, it's on you. And so that's exactly what happened. 
Barabbas is set free. Jesus is arrested. He's tortured. The Roman soldiers were meticulous with their torture of criminals. They'd spent generations perfecting the art of execution and crucifixion. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails over and over and over again. Crown of thorns on his head. Scourged from head to foot. Some people argue that, that Jesus was unrecognisable as a human. He was that badly deformed from what had happened to him through these beatings. And so then he carried his cross up the hill where they would have the public demonstrations of crucifixion for criminals. They laid him on that cross. They got nails, huge thick nails and drove them through his wrists through the timber through his ankles and fastened him to that cross the Roman soldiers were so brutal that what would usually happen is because of the sheer torment and stress on the human body once they would hang a person up on the cross the, the weight of their body and the, the lack of energy they would have after being through such torment they would, they would slump over on top of themselves and the weight of their body and their chest cavity would literally suffocate them and they would die pretty quick but the Roman soldiers as perverse as they were were like no that's not good enough so they would put little props under the backside on the cross to sort of keep them upright so they couldn't slump to prolong the suffering so they couldn't suffocate themselves and die. And he hung there on that cross, suffering. And this is what today is about. Today is about that moment, the death of Jesus. And yes, it's about... The resurrection, and we have we, on Sunday, we'll be super pumped about that, it'll be joyous. But the death is the price that was paid, the death is significant. And so Jesus died, and his mum was watching this whole thing unfold. Could you, could you imagine a mother watching her son? go through that see the reason Jesus did that went through such horrific trauma and torture was to demonstrate to us humanity and not just the humans that were alive 2,000 years ago when this happened but every human being that would be alive till the end of time he wanted to demonstrate how far he was willing to go to show how much he loves us, his people. See, greater love has no man than this, to lay his life down for his friend. And you see, the Bible is pretty clear in Romans 3.23 that the wages of sin is death. That we all sin. We, we have, uh, 1 Peter talks about, we have inherited the futile ways of our forefathers. We make mistakes. From a baby, we, we, we aren't born perfect. No one is good. Even our, 
our best works and our best deeds are like filthy rags compared to the perfection of God. And so our sin, the result of that, no matter how bad we think it is or how insignificant we try to cover it up and make it seem like it's okay, sin is sin in the eyes of God. Sin is imperfection. Sin is a stain compared to the perfection and holiness of God. And I shared this last week. Whenever darkness is brought into contact with light, the, dark, the, the light will completely consume it. And it will go. It will, the darkness will die in the presence of light. And that's like us with God. Our sin, our brokenness, our imperfection is like darkness. And when God's perfection and holiness comes in contact with our darkness, we die and He becomes prevalent in all of that situation. So the wages of our sin is death, ultimately. And so in the Old Testament, we would read story after story of, of, of animals that would be slaughtered, their blood that would be shed. We think about the story of the, Egypt, the Egyptians that held the Israelites enslaved for, for, for 400 years. It was the, the innocent lamb who had his blood shed that was painted over the doorframe that would protect that household when death came over. And so Jesus on that cross became the once and for all sacrifice for all sin. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, in brackets, because we all deserve to perish because the wages of our sin is death, but because of Jesus, end bracket, we now have eternal life. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And it's nothing we have done to earn or deserve. It is a free gift that God lavishes upon us because of how much he absolutely loves us. And here's the thing I find interesting about the, the Good Friday story is I think back and if you're like me, you probably look at some of the characters in this story and go, man, if I was there, things would pan out differently. Have you ever watched like a, like a horror movie and you're like, don't run down that dark alley? What do they do? They run down that dark alley. It's like, if I was, I wouldn't do that. That's ridiculous. And so we look at the story of Jesus and, and we can see, for me, I see four key moments, four key instances where, where, where stuff happens that I go, man, I'd probably do that differently. But if I'm honest, I, I still, 2,000 years later, respond in a similar way to God. And here's what I mean by that. I look... I looked at the disciples in the garden that went up the hill after the Last Supper. Then Jesus said, hey, would you pray? Would you wait with me? Would you be aware and pray with me? And what did they do? They fell asleep. And I go, I wouldn't fall asleep. I would be awake because I love Jesus. Well, would I? Because Jesus is calling us to be watchful now. But how many of us are spiritually asleep? We've been lulled into the ways of this world. And when Jesus is saying, hey, be alert, be vigilant, your enemy roams around like a roaring lion, we're like, no, we just, just got a comfortable life. It's all awesome. We are like the disciples asleep when Jesus has called us to be spiritually awake and alert. Or maybe we're like, like Judas and we go, I would never betray Jesus. That's ridiculous. So outrageous. Maybe, maybe we do that even now without even realizing. Maybe we sell out Jesus 
for our own personal gain and pleasure. Maybe we withhold from God what he's asking from us because we just want what we want. And the promises of this world, the pleasures of the flesh seem more enticing than being committed and faithful to Jesus. And so we do our own thing and we'll take whatever we can get. And life becomes about me and what I can have, not about who I'm associated with and who I lay my life down for. Or maybe we're like Peter, another character in the story where, where he, he denies even knowing Jesus. And we might think, well, I would never do that. I'm bold. I'm, I'm bold as a lion. I would never just deny Jesus. But maybe we do this each and every day when we see an opportunity to shine God's love in a situation or in someone's life and we hold back. We have an opportunity to present the love of God to somebody, but we don't do it. Maybe, maybe our silence in situations where God's calling us to speak is a deafening denial of our relationship with Him. Maybe we need to be more bold and present and represent God in situations and opportunities we're given so that our lack of obedience doesn't look like denial from God's perspective. Or maybe, maybe some of us are like Pontius Pilate. We're just cruising through life and then you're presented with this Jesus character. You're like, yeah, he's cool. I have no beef for Jesus. I've I'm, I'm got my career. I've got my study. I've got this. I've got, I've got a family. I'm, but yeah, Jesus, that's cool. Christianity, you guys are pretty cool. Teach some cool stuff. Maybe, maybe you have no beef with God per se, but you find yourself just getting swept up with whatever the culture says. And maybe it's time that you made a decision around who Jesus is. Because Pontius Pilate was cool with Jesus, but ultimately he showed no integrity because he just went with whatever the crowd said. And there is a system of this world that tries to sweep people away from God. Yeah, Jesus, he's cool. It's good for you. You've got your Jesus thing. But the world wants to sweep you away from holiness, away from devotion, away from being connected to God. And so this Good Friday, I, I want to encourage us to come back to the foot of the cross. And, and let's, not, let's not wussify the cross. And I've shared this before, is we can make things so kitsch, right? Where we go, you know what? When Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross... He was essentially saying, I love you this much. Vomit. Uh, seriously. Like I, like, I get the sentiment. I do. I'm not, I'm not that harsh. But the sentiment is nice that Jesus stretched out his arms and says, I love you this much. Come to daddy. Like, but man, that is such a minuscule interpretation of what actually occurred on that cross because what actually occurred on that cross was when he stretched out his hand spiritually speaking he reached back to the garden of eden the very beginning where adam and eve first sinned where this darkness that entered the world began and he grabbed that sin and then this hand reached all the way out to the very last sin that would be committed before he returns again and he held that sin 
And then every single sin that has happened from the beginning of time to the end of time through billions and billions and billions of people was piled onto him. And him who knew no sin became sin for us. And it was nailed to the cross. And once and for all, sin was dealt with. It was finished. It was over. Those that find faith in him are now forgiven, set free to be his children. And back to the original design he had in the very beginning. So don't tell me he loves me this much. No, no, he loves you for all eternity and was willing to send his only son to demonstrate that love for you. And we can take it lightly and we can go, oh, yeah, Jesus is cool. No, no, no. Jesus is after devotion. And he demonstrates what devotion looks like. He laid his life down for us. We have the opportunity to love him because he first loved us. Let your head wrap around that. Brutal. The love of God for you. And here's what we can do. We can think about that analogy and go, yeah, he took all the sin of the world and humanity and history on himself. That's a big deal. You know what? Why don't you personalize that and bring yourself right into the foot of the cross and look up to Jesus and realize he did that for you. He would leave the 99 to find the one. It's not just a generic sacrifice, and it is. It's a very, very intimate and personal sacrifice for whoever chooses to follow him, whoever chooses to put faith in him. That sacrifice has been made for them, for you. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wages of your sin, which is death, eternal separation from God. This is the beauty of the gospel. Like it's, This is Good Friday. Awful set of circumstances, but a great result ultimately. That's why it's good. That when we find faith in God and choose to follow Him, when we pass from this life, whenever that might be, we will be in perfect paradise forever. No pain, no suffering, no torment. It's all gravy all day. But wait, there's more. We get a set of steak knives. And the steak knives are that, that the Lord of heaven and earth is with us always, even till the end of the age. Like, are you kidding me? We get the golden ticket to heaven, but we also get the ticket giver to walk through this life with us until we pass on to glory one day. So we don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to be riddled with guilt. We don't need to be riddled with fear or condemnation. We can be confident knowing who we are in Christ, that he is with us. And if, if he is for us and if he is with us, who can be against us? Makes me want to put my shoulders back, my chin up. Be confident. You mean I'm a son of God. Look what Jesus went through to purchase me, to be his child. And it's a free gift. So we're going to take communion right now and we're just going to have a, a sacred moment for the next five minutes. We'll be done at 10.30. This is an hour service. And so you can take the bread, you take the juice. Now, we've done something a little bit different today. We've got real bread and real juice. There's no more ripping the top off, the COVID-free stuff. 
If you're not comfortable with this, that's fine. Just sit in your seat. Have a reflective moment. Think about the song that we're about to sing and ask God to reveal himself to you. But if you want to participate, then you are welcome to do that in just a moment. And at the end of the day, this, this really is just 35-hour sourdough we got from Woolworths, which is delicious. This is really just um, grape juice. Um, so they're just, there's nothing powerful about them. Like, this, this, is just, this is just a ring, right? This is just a, a, a nice sterling silver ring. But um, what this represents... Is a covenant I made to lay my life down for that woman for the rest of my life and love my family. It's just a ring, but what it symbolizes is incredibly powerful. This is just bread and juice, but what it symbolizes is incredibly powerful. That the God of the heavens and the earth sent his son to die on a cross for the once and for all sacrifice for your sins so that you can be reconciled with God the Father and have a full relationship with him. The most incredible, it's the great exchange. His perfection for our brokenness. It's a pretty good deal. So why don't we stand? And I can, if you, you can grab the bread, you can move around the auditorium as we sing this song. You can head back to your seat. You can levitate up the back if you want to do. That's fine. Um, but as we stand... We're going to sing a song that really captures this whole heart of communion. And um, for those that want to come, would you come? Would you participate with us? Let's just spend the next few minutes just reflecting on how much God loves you and what lengths he was prepared to go to for you. Not just humanity in general, but specifically for you here today. Come whenever you're ready.